What's up, Derek? Hey, man. Uh, I'm totally set up and ready to go if you are. Um, I think we're just waiting on Josh and DJ. So are you ready to go? You set up? Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling all right. You know, it feels feels like something's crawling on my face a little. Wait, what? Other than that, like... Yeah, dude, something's on your face right now? You've got... What's wrong? Wait, what the fuck? You've got bugs crawling out of your face out of your eyes out of your nose yeah do you not feel those bro yeah i kind of feel yeah that's kind of messed up you need to get that taken care of hey uh here's a meat cleaver why don't you just go ahead and like you know cut your own face off where we're going you don't need faces (laughs) to see (laughs) what's up everybody this is another episode of watch if you dare Horror Movie Podcast, hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and my cowardly co-host, Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. Another new episode, another Event Horizon reference. Yes, absolutely. This is going to be our first official crossover episode. Mm-hmm. We've got on DJ Rollison and... And Josh Hales from the Featuring X podcast. What's up, guys? How's it going? Hi. Excited to be here. We uh, all work together. So Josh and DJ and I know each other from back in the day. We are all kind of split up in different places now. But it's fun because we can come together and bullshit on podcasts now. So technology. Give us kind of a rundown of what y'all's show is all about. Sure. So we basically do this kind of experimental sleepy time podcast about these weird collaborations and popular music. DJ is just like encyclopedia of chart and awards information. And I am a classical musician that just loves breaking down shit. So that's what we do. Uh, We find these just super stupid uh, (laughs) collaborations like Frank Ocean and John Mayer did like four (laughs) songs together. (laughs) Kesha and Dolly Parton got together and covered a song that like Kesha's mom wrote for dolly way back in the day yeah i remember hearing about that one there's some really interesting weird stuff out there and and that's just what we do we started the podcast because i didn't have a job (laughs) and i was just pouring basically every idea that i had into it uh and dj was like there to support me and and (laughs) hang out with me for the ride so it's a it's a little weird but uh we love doing it for sure now it's a great concept for sure it's super relaxing. It's a good podcast to listen to over the course of a few days. You know, we don't necessarily expect you to listen to it all in one sitting yeah. all the time since it is like a bedtime podcast. Yeah, because you guys do like a moment of silence kind of breathing exercise yeah. portion and all that kind of stuff on top of these discussions of weird collaborations and music. Yeah, it's very zen. Right. Yeah. And the first season even had <laughs> thunderstorm sounds and uh, <laughs> river sounds and stuff in there. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good white noise yeah and derek and i just recently ruined a lot of that zen by coming on y'all's show (laughs) for a recent episode to discuss pop songs in movie soundtracks 
and uh, we're not going to spoil the ones we talked about, but uh, let's just say Derek and I got real stupid with our recommendations, and <laughs> it's definitely just a lot of me passionately like screaming into a microphone about a really bad 90s pop song that I love. <laughs> so yeah, it was a great time yeah, crossover and guesting on y'all's show, so everybody <laughs> yeah, definitely sure. check it out. It made for a really good episode. And we also like misread the purpose, because you guys were like, hey, yeah, you'd pick an album, and Aaron and I were just like, oh, we just like picked one song and did a shit ton of research on one song hey it was still misunderstood good. the entire thing yeah no 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 came out great it, it did come out great and for our listeners please check out featuring x in parentheses f-e-a-t dot x i mean all i had to do is google featuring x podcast or feet x podcast i saw your spotify page and your apple podcast page at the time of this recording you might have another episode out so when did the episode with us drop exactly so y'all's episode is actually our season two finale oh wow okay so thank you it'll be the last one for for a few weeks so that was at the time of this recording that was february the 6th february 6th okay yeah i mean the title is special episode listen if you dare so i'm, I'm sure people will be able to find that one pretty easy yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't worry yeah. you'll find <laughs> so yeah, we jumped on y'all's show and we talked movie music. So now y'all are on our show and we are specifically going to be talking about a movie with music themes and music as kind of the like center of the premise. So we talked through a couple different ideas and kind of landed on this one. And this is, you know, a more recent movie that, you know, we normally try to like keep some distance in between us covering something to give it plenty of time to like stretch its legs and kind of sit for a minute and settle itself in the pop culture and see where it shakes out. So this is mm -hmm. definitely the rare instance where we do something that's newer for sure. But uh, this might be the newest movie we've tackled because while it technically came out in 2018 and that was like when it dropped at least on the festival circuit it didn't hit netflix when i that's when i think it really made a splash until 2019 yeah but yeah, we just said this was a good opportunity with you guys coming on to just go ahead and do this one too. And it's one that like I I only knew because one of the leads is in Get Out and is also right. a <laughs> big part of Get Out. Um, and I only knew about that just looking up what the actors and actresses from that movie have done recently. But I don't remember seeing this pop up on Netflix or anything like that. So it was kind of a out of left field thing until Aaron brought it up to me and you know the Get Out link as well. I certainly remember when it came out because I'm pay attention a little bit more to like horror goings on other podcasts we're talking about certainly so I, I definitely remember when this came out because it was one of those weird Netflix dropped a movie that was sensational everybody watched it and kind of talked about it for like three weeks and then it moved on to whatever the next thing was that Netflix had out. But it was just such a weirdly out of left field and hyper sensationalist movie that it caused some waves as it came in. So And for me, Netflix just had my my number. It knows what <laughs> I look like. It knows my whole past. It knew that if there was a cello in it and it presented <laughs> that title card to me that I'd be interested in it. So I did know about it when it first came out. Uh, I watched the trailer and I think it does show a few things that I would, I guess, consider spoilers in the trailer. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this is super interesting. And I went to my wife, who is like a music theorist. So we're both like classical musicians, all that stuff. She was like, you want to watch this? No, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that you were like, I had a classical background to you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, good, good. That's even better. Yeah. So a <laughs> little bit of personal background. I grew up 
playing cello. I grew up yeah. like in the strings department in the school district I that know I was that. in. Yeah. I played for a decade, I guess. Josh and I actually had some of the same teachers, yep. kind of by weird happenstance. His wife was teaching in the program that I played in. So like yep. there was a lot of weird yep. immediate. Once we were working together, we kind of had the realization of, oh shit, yeah, we know a lot of the same people, have yep. played with a lot of the same people, have been taught by a lot of the same people. And that was a weird touch point that Josh and I had that we discovered randomly years ago. So we both have that weird background. <laughs> and on top of that, your mom is also heavily involved in like yeah. the classical music scene here, specifically like the musical theater scene. And so we cross paths with your mom all the time. It's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. So Josh and I like definitely have that music background, which there's a lot of stuff in this movie that in weird ways we can relate to. And then there's stuff where we're just like, nah, that's bullshit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So that, that's where like I thought this would be kind of an interesting one to tackle, certainly. I didn't have any, at least classical musical background, DJ. Have you had any like music background with playing any instruments or anything like that growing up? Because I, I completely missed that during my childhood. Yeah, I was in marching band and concert band for 10, 12 years altogether. When I first started in college, I was a music major, flute performance. Then I shifted into journalism to kind of focus more on music journalism. But yeah, I've got a performance background, but I would definitely say it's nothing nearly as severe as what was portrayed in this, in this film. <laughs> yeah, I, I've dabbled. I've dabbled. Oh, man. The fears that this movie brings up really do strike home for you three more so than me, because I dabbled in guitar, but I never played anything like gotcha. super seriously. Yeah, yeah. As much as I love music, you would think I would have played an instrument and I didn't. And I was never actually any good at guitar as it is anyway. So I didn't do that. But hey, guys, how do musicians greet each other? Cello. Oh. <laughs> yeah, That's get ready. Good. There's going to be a bunch of those to break the uh, <laughs> oh the severity of uh, this movie yes. later on. But, um, <laughs> it's valid. Normally, we do recommendations, but you guys aren't uh, necessarily super horror-oriented. However, Josh and I, you, we were actually talking before we started recording because we were the first two on to this call. We were talking about how you, uh, you were watching the wrap-up of Attack on Titan, which has a lot of horror elements to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's considered horror but uh, it was the closest thing I could think of if I needed to like come up with something to recommend right now <laughs> some of the best time loop mechanics I've ever seen it's just blowing my mind and what's funny is this season is really the only season that I've actually been interested in just based off of a recommendation yeah. got back into it and some of the most creative stuff I've seen in a long time just in this like yeah. last season basically it's not a capital H horror anime manga but it is very close i mean it literally um, has it is also super gory giant naked skinned people yeah. <laughs> climbing over walls and like grabbing right. up eating people tiny people yeah. and eating them it's got some yeah. very horrific things in it. yeah so i wanted to shout that out because that's something at least that we were talking about off mic but like yeah usually we do more formal recommendations segment of other horror that we've all consumed lately but since you guys aren't as into horror as aaron and i are we're gonna kind of forgo that but i wanted to bring that up and also something that i know i think all four of us can talk about since it just so happens so peek behind the curtain everyone we are literally recording this right now right after the super bowl happened there were some pretty big trailer reveals uh you know there was the doctor strange multiverse madness or whatever uh the whole title is called and then you know that's sam raimi that different from the from what they showed at the end of spider-man yeah, yeah this is, this like is a, a totally a new yep. trailer 
yeah trailer. totally new trailer yeah and like you know that's sam raimi it's supposed to have a lot of horror elements in the the movie i think they did a, a moon knight tv spot as well for the moon knight tv show which moon knight is also a little more supernatural horror oriented hero but the big trailer the one that i think all four of us can really talk about coming off the heels of our get out episode mm-hmm. the big trailer for jordan peele's new movie nope literally nope i love that that's the fucking <laughs> name of this nope more like yep yeah <laughs> yeah it was awesome like i am extremely intrigued yeah kind of like his other movies i don't know exactly what the hell is going on yet but there's enough that the trailer shows that really has me interested in i love the cast i love the whole premise that we have seen on screen what are you what are your guys thoughts i was just agreeing mainly with the cast i think the cast for this film is really uh smart i think kiki palmer is going to be a really good i don't know if if this counts as scream queen but female lead for the film I am arguably one of the least qualified people to discuss horror. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there and let the, the people of this podcast know. But I really like Jordan Peele, so I am excited about this. I will not watch it in theaters, but I'm very excited <laughs> to, see, uh, to see the film. I'll go ahead and say that I actually didn't watch uh, the Super Bowl, and I didn't know about this drop until y'all mentioned it, so I'm kind of watching it right now, uh, just on silent. I will say, <laughs> the visuals, I don't know who does the cinematography for Jordan Peele's movies, but they're so striking. The flailing arm two men thing is beautiful. That shot is, there's two shots in the the trailer with those like car salesmen flailing arm two men. They're all like kind of going down. I guess what are those called? Yeah, I guess tube men is maybe (laughs) the best explanation. So striking. Like colors of those against that drab desert ranch backdrop is ah, so good. The cinematographer is Hoyt Van Hoytema who did the last chunk of Christopher Nolan's movies. He did Dunkirk and Interstellar and Tenet. He also did Her and Ed Astra. I mean, he's done a ton of big stuff. Mm. Well, well, well well-known cinematographer. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely digging the look and feel of it. My wild theory is it's going to be something like alien ufo related i don't know if that's so wild because that trailer tries to make it seem ufo alien related to me because that was my first thought too that's one bit but then the other thing is in terms of the cast the person who sticks out to me is terry notary who is most well known at this point as being a like performance capture actor, right? So he was in like Avatar movie. He was one of the main performers in all the new Planet of the Apes movies. He did all the motion capture for Rocket and Bright Eyes. He was also in Kevin in the Woods and the new Hobbit movies. He is King Kong and Kong Skull Island. And he was also performance capture actor in the last two Avengers movies specifically. Um, he was the onset stand-in for Teenage Groot as well as Cull Obsidian. So he does that type of work. And he doesn't have a character name under his credit either. So that makes me think he's going to be doing some kind of performance capture. And it might be something weird and alien. Yeah. Especially with the desert setting and everything else. Like that really is what I'm feeling this is going to end up being. So yeah, I'm very curious in that sense like okay he's in this movie he doesn't have a character listed what type of work 
does he normally do? Okay, so I'm kind of curious from that angle, but yeah, I mean, I'm down. Like, I've been completely sold by his last two movies. That's all I have to say, I guess. Like, I, yes, I'll be there on day one. I mean, it's either that or it's the fucking glow cloud from Night Vale, <laughs> like, like we've all joked about with yeah. our friends on Discord. Yeah, totally. I'm very intrigued. I like the titles of his movies a lot because <laughs> very literal. Get Out and Us yeah. were very on the nose. Punchy. Yeah, and like, but you didn't know exactly in what context until you actually watched the movie. So I'm pretty sure it'll be the same with this. Yeah, and then it becomes really memorable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's definitely going to be a lot of fun. I will definitely echo DJ's sentiment that Kiki Palmer is great, and she's going to be fantastic in this movie. Daniel Kaluuya is coming back. Stephen Yen's coming yep. in. So the cast of this looks good in general, so I'm very much down for it. But yeah, beyond that, I guess if we want to go ahead and jump into this movie we certainly can go ahead and get started real quick we don't do this often and this this is one that uh might be a first for like at least from our uh facebook page but uh we got a listener uh message that was really nice and i wanted to specifically shout it out because uh we actually talked to for a little while went back and forth but the listeners heather i'm not gonna say her full name because i don't know if she wants uh her full name out there but heather reached out to me and wanted to thank us specifically you aaron for recommending the documentary uh woodlands dark and days bewitched and she was saying that she wanted to thank you for recommending that and that it's actually available on something called canopy with a k it's k-a-n-o-p-y which is free with a library card if your library subscribes to canopy which she was saying that a lot of local libraries do so you can actually maybe catch woodlands dark and days bewitched with your library card if your library uh is subscribed to canopy she said she really enjoyed watching it and she also found a bunch of new books to read as far as maybe folk horror goes and she also said that if we ever wanted a librarian guest host to let her know and you know i'm sure we could find something down the line but yeah thank you heather for reaching out to us and letting us know so we can let our listeners know about the canopy thing with libraries yeah canopy is a great service definitely check and see if your local library supports that because you know we always talk about okay well i gotta cut back on all the streaming services and what do i really want to pay for blah blah guess what canopy's free if you got a library card and there's so much stuff on canopy and there is so much stuff that's hard to find that you can get on canopy so definitely worth checking out for sure i would have never guessed fucking woodlands dark and days bewitched would have been on there but it is and yeah also support your local library uh surprisingly amount of awesome stuff you can find there i know graphic novel wise and comic book wise they always have a ton of shit yeah more and more libraries are carrying those now and obviously there's yeah, all the, like hard novels that we bring up mm-hmm. yeah a lot of libraries i mean they have been for years i've been carrying movies and video games and pretty healthy horror sections in most libraries i've been in so um you know if you are strapped for cash these days which it's understandable, but you still want to kind of consume some media. Your library is a great resource. Hell yeah. But yeah, so thank you, Heather, for reaching out to us and letting us pass that information off. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and get started talking about this insane batshit movie. So, if we hadn't mentioned it or you hadn't caught it by now, we are actually going to be covering The Perfection from 2018, directed by Richard Shepard. What is happening to me? I'm burning up. It's going to be okay. Oh, it's not. Oh, God, it's not. Listen to me. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with me. Lizzie, I know. That's why we need to get you help. I'm dying. I'm dying. (laughs) 
What's happening? Oh my god. What's happening? I don't know. Oh my god. What is it? I don't know. Mom, what the fuck? Look at you, Well, you know what happens now. What do you call a cello that tells jokes? A stand-up bass. <laughs> Woof. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So this is going to be as entertaining as all of my, like, puns during uh, My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> so, yeah, at, one thing that we don't typically do on our show is content warnings. But this is certainly a movie where I feel like it's probably appropriate because this movie deals with some heavy shit. And as insane and campy as this movie is, it also deals with child abuse and child sexual abuse and trafficking, rape, and lots of heavy stuff. So definitely know going into the movie that it is going to be touching on those subjects. We are going to be discussing those subjects to varying degrees. Yeah, so if you want to avoid the movie and even want to cut off our podcast right here, totally understandable. Um, those are some real heavy topics can be pretty triggering so we get that aaron was the one who recommended this to both josh and dj who like we said earlier aren't really horror we joked about it on your show and aaron denied that he was gonna do it but in my opinion he tossed y'all in overboard with no fucking life jacket into a uh, horror land for this one because i didn't know that it was gonna go in the directions it went to either until i started watching it so with that in mind uh josh dj um with y'all being I, i'm not gonna say y'all are cowards like I, i'll take the coward moniker Derek is certainly the coward yeah we won't put that label on y'all i'll put it on myself (laughs) (laughs) but uh but y'all being more horror newbies than i am before aaron and i get into any of our long-winded discussions i'd like to hear the reactions of non-horror people to like something when they come on and guess so what were y'all's initial reactions to this movie how scary did you find it intense subject matter aside do you think other non-horror people could watch this movie and not be completely freaked out and still be able to sleep at night like what are your thoughts and i guess too like what is your genuine like emotional reaction because this is the kind of movie that i don't find to be scary per se but it is certainly disturbing and there is certainly some like grotesquerie happening right and there's obviously some like upsetting stuff at no point do i find the movie at least me personally find the movie to be scary in air quotes but Mm -hmm. it is certainly like an unsettling movie so i guess what are y'all's like immediate emotional reactions to this i kind of agree with you aaron i was not necessarily scared throughout watching it I was very uncomfortable and there were multiple times watching it where I like I just couldn't look at the screen because of the way they decided to show these things happening the <laughs> insect uh, anyway yeah it is not something I would have sought out by any means if we weren't doing this podcast but I did ultimately enjoy it 
overall. In terms of sitting there and watching it, the story and the conclusion, I guess, of it all was satisfying. I wasn't a fan of the subject matter a lot of the times, but it was a it was a satisfying film ultimately for me. For me, and Aaron, you mentioned this mentioned this before. It was campy, and I think it was campier for me specifically because I actually have two backgrounds that this like really I don't know how how I can explain it not only am I a classical musician and this is a movie about classical music but it is also set for a lot of it in Shanghai and my wife happens to be from China and I've traveled through China and I've been not necessarily in Shanghai but uh, around that city so there was a lot of references and things that were happening that turned up the campiness I think for me versus someone that doesn't have like a relationship or a tie to China in any way yeah. or someone that doesn't have a tie to classical music in any way because I kept thinking oh that thing that they're talking about in China mm, it's not exactly like that or you know this thing that they're talking about as far as music is eh, they kind of get it but it's not right on the nose it's not quite exactly accurate all these like very small inaccuracies for me made this film pretty funny to start with and then it gets to the like psychological horror uh, <laughs> parts yeah. of it. And it just comes out of nowhere for me, weirdly enough. I knew it had to get there somewhere, somehow. The hand getting chopped off is in the trailer. So I knew that had to happen somehow. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like it's really interesting how like it completely surprised me. It's more of like a psychological thriller akin to maybe uh, Shutter Island or something versus a full-on horror film, I think. In my head the entire time, the best way that I could describe it is this movie is a me too dominatrix whipping brian de palma and park chan wook is smoking a cigarette in the corner watching like it's very much like that kind of feeling there's a lot of lighting and editing and split diapter shots and all that kind of stuff that's very similar to like their movies and their tones hmm. you know the campiness of this movie i think is very interesting and i you know i don't think the movie's perfect because there's certainly it's trying to do some things that I don't think it's pulling off and we'll we'll kind of get there the, a little bit deeper. The name of the movie is The Perfection. How how can I not? Anyway. <laughs> so I didn't get the camp factor as much as maybe you guys did. Probably. I understand what you're talking about. Like I do. Again, maybe this goes back to me like really having no musical knowledge in terms of actual like playing an instrument, especially classical, because I just didn't even touch classical anything. But I didn't really catch too much camp. I could see like <laughs> elements. You didn't get just piss shiver funny laughing when Allison Williams took off one wig and just had another wig on under the yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean there was stuff like that that was like borderline like comedy horror and I got that but like I don't know it just this movie started off serious and ended serious with me but in very mm. in ways that I didn't expect where it begins and where it ends are like completely different but I felt this was a serious movie like the whole way through even like during like the entire like freak out scene of her seeing shit and the bugs coming out of her and all that kind of stuff on one hand ascribing that to somebody sounds very campy and very like goofy even but the way the movie actually handled it to me mm -hmm. at least it was very serious the entire way and frightening at certain points but then at the same time it almost I don't know like would you agree with this Aaron it felt like at especially the very end of the movie was very an 
a very positive way exploitated like an exploitation film an extremely like fuck yes kind of ending way if you get what i mean yes i mean the movie is i don't want to go into spoils just yet but mm-hmm. like you get what i'm trying to we've say we've already started spoiling this movie i mean again like we said the trailer spoils a lot of this movie so yeah before you answer my question poor newbies listen to what aaron said at the beginning with the w- trigger warnings because like this movie might be not that it's too scary for you but it just like the subject matter and the, the stuff that it shows and talks about might be too much to bear which is understandable yeah so like read the content warnings for sure yeah but mm. i would say try to go into it as cold as possible because right the yeah. trailer spoils a lot and trust me, there is a giant left turn that this movie takes oh, yeah. exactly at the halfway point where it's just building and building and getting more and more insane. And then suddenly like screeches to a halt and yeah. falls off a cliff. And at that point, you know, you're like completely in unsafe waters. So, mm. it, you know, go into it as cold as possible, but heed the content warnings for sure. I will say to the trailer's credit, obviously, I mean, it shows a huge plot point in the trailer. It makes you think that is for a different reason than what it is, if that makes sense. Like sure. a plague or something, I'm guessing. Yeah, because yeah, mm-hmm. like the first half of the movie almost sets it up like it's going to be like this zombie plague thing happening. And then like it doesn't go that route at all. That's just coincidence. Well, no, the trailer, I don't think shows any of that. What it makes you think is that it's literally like a revenge story or a jealousy oh, or, or something like that. Yeah, She just like comes in the middle of the night and just chops off this lady's hand because <laughs> she plays cello better than me. Like <laughs> In a way, they, they kind of do set that angle up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like it does that complete 180 in a way you don't expect. Yeah. But going back to my question, or horror newbies, uh, as far as actual horror, like, like Aaron was saying, on screen, you know, you heard Josh, you heard DJ, on screen stuff, it's intense. It's very creepy. It's very unsettling. It's very uh, disturbing at times to watch. But as far as actual like, boo pop out scare whatever it's not that scary but it is very psychologically intense horror but i think if you can handle the subject matter that it's dealing with and some gore you got a pretty decent netflix horror movie watch to go on now granted like i agree with all of you guys i don't think it's a perfect movie despite the name of the movie (laughs) i certainly think we've covered better movies but it is it is an extremely interesting watch where the story goes you're not necessarily going to see other movies do this and that's part of why i kind of recommended it because again the movie is very interestingly imperfect in almost every aspect and it's only 90 minutes long so it's like yeah exactly it's it's engaging that whole 90 minutes honestly yeah Yeah. it really is keeps you invested it's incredibly overwrought sensationalism but it's all in a very conversation worthy kind of way to go back to like that ending would you say that's kind of exploitative like the oh, way it this ends? entire movie's exploitative okay I mean, every yeah, aspect of this from like this felt way more exploitation than like even campy which i guess campy <laughs> and exploitation go hand in hand no so. this is female rape revenge weird sexploitation just it's a little bit of all of that kind of rolled together and again allison williams like takes a wig off and has another wig underneath it's that weird level of those two things kind of clashing and you know while it deals with some heavy subject matter there's still some moments where you are just kind of like fuck yeah a little bit as you know like weird stuff's happening
happening. Yeah, there's like a fuck yeah revenge story here. There's a fuck yeah like romance story between the two female leads. Yeah. And a lot of like sexual energy with that. And yeah, it's... It's a movie that has a lot to say, like, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily pull off everything extremely well, like it it has a lot to say and it, it, for the most part, lands. So I guess the first thing I would bring up, mostly just to like completely qualify and say the most obvious surface level aspect of the film is the rape revenge trope, right? That is certainly a long-standing exploitation subgenre, horror subgenre, you know, everything from Last House on the Left to I Spit on Your Grave to the more recent movies like Revenge that are actually mm. written, directed by women. So you're actually getting a like woman's critical viewpoint of the subject matter and not a male gaze exploitative view of the subject matter right it's a long-standing trope movies have done it to varying levels of success right so i mean that's the most obvious surface level thing about this movie which is again historically kind of complicated to parse and the thing with this movie that's interesting but i will say i don't necessarily know that we're really super qualified to have this discussion being that we're literally four dudes on a show together right Mm -hmm. you know is this movie empowering to women does this just reinforce that flawed narrative that only through trauma do survivors become strong, you know, and can overcome anything, you know, is this just another way for men to kind of further fetishize women and explore those dark desires for righteous violence and revenge, you know, is it kind of all of the above, right? Yeah. So this movie is definitely like a weird conundrum in that sense, that it's messily trying to talk about this stuff and be about this stuff, but it doesn't really succeed or fail entirely. It's just kind of right in the middle when it comes to like this particular trope. So, you know, that's kind of the one thing that I guess just to get that topic out of the way, you know, that's the first most obvious thing to address. So like thoughts on that, I guess, before we kind of move on to some of the other themes. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and say that, you know, after watching the movie, I did a little bit of research, wanted to see what was going on, uh, maybe what people were talking about. It's interesting that you brought that up, Aaron, because I found this article that was published on Vox by Aja Romano that basically takes a hard stand that this is the way that they handle the rape and and revenge in this movie is actually like bad. Yeah, (laughs) This movie was directed by a man and I don't know if I want to keep that, but they take a hard stance on it. It's not good. Um, (laughs) It's actually really interesting because they make a case for this actually being a parallel to a trial from the Me Too movement of the former USA Gymnastics. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, there are definitely shades of all the Nasser stuff for sure. Yeah, Nasser. I remember that. I just hadn't made that correlation, but that's a really good point. Yeah. When he said that, it just kind of clicked with me that might have been where they got that inspiration. Yeah, I'm with DJ on that. Another slight connection that's not actually a connection is Miramax is who distributed this movie mm-hmm. and Miramax notoriously for years was run by the Weinsteins right mm. now by the point that this movie came out and this movie was distributed Miramax was separated from them entirely but like yeah this movie totally has all the shades of the Larry Nasser stuff and the Harvey Weinstein stuff yeah just people in positions of power taking advantage of that being serially abusive and yeah. just charged 
chalking it all up to like, oh, it's like a defect in my character, right? Yeah. Yeah. And separately from all that, are y'all familiar with uh, Mozart in the Jungle? It was a book that was like turned into an Amazon series. I am vaguely aware of it. I know Garcia Bernal's in it. I've seen it on bits and pieces, but I've not actually watched it. I've only heard the title of it. And I remember seeing like either a trailer or something pop up on one of the streaming services one time. But otherwise, no. You know, I was in high school. I was thinking about going to music school. I was playing the violin and my mom happened to see this book. It was just called Mozart in the Jungle on the bookshelf at uh, Barnes and Nobles or something and like brought it home to me. I actually read the first chapter and it was about all these music students having to live in an apartment altogether, like 10 of them having to like live in New York together because they couldn't afford rent. And they would just have these parties where they would just do coke and play their repertoire and try and just show off to each other. And when I was in high school, that was a little bit too much for me. Band isn't like this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so I recently read it when I matured. Uh, (laughs) And that's something that they talk about in the in the book. It's just weird that my mom bought this for me was a lot of sexual abuse in the classical music world. That's just what happens and the situation that you're kind of put in as a student is you want to do the best you can yeah it's your dream to be in these huge symphonies who only take the best players so you do what you can to get ahead get a better seat in the school orchestra get better treatment from your professor and one of the stories that this uh, author writes about is her experience going into a lesson with her professor which in these music schools those are one-on-one with the door closed no windows is just you and them and being sexually abused in some of those lessons with her just taking it so that she could get ahead. So much of that gets normalized too. Yeah. It becomes like a grooming kind of situation where you start to believe this is normal, right? Correct. And that's like certainly yeah, something yeah. that kind of falls into this movie specifically because that's kind of the dynamic these two characters have is Allison Williams is, you know, she has broken away. She is outside of that world. She is no longer at this conservatory she has had a rough couple of years kind of coming back around but now she is trying to pull out a another student you know that was kind of the next superstar girl who replaced her and she is at that point still where she's just completely like no this is all normal what are you talking about nothing bad is happening to me and you Mm -hmm. know she's just completely still stuck in that world but if that's what you know from a massively early age it just becomes normal after a while and obviously we know it's anything but Yeah, I think that's where that Larry Nazar situation kind of comes in. But like what this article also says is that the way that this movie kind of handles that is a little different from like that situation, which was apparently in that situation, things were more subtle. It wasn't full on just having sex with people. It was more subtle ways to normalize the sexual abuse. Uh, But in this movie, it just seems like they're just full on. Yeah, your punishment is you get raped. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up sexual abuse. You're done. From day one, you're being fully gang raped. Yeah. And I think for better and for worse, this movie 
takes those topics and just takes it to the extreme in both ways because the way she gets her out of the realization that she's been groomed is she has her chop her own fucking hand off Mm -hmm. which is an extreme then on the other side the extreme of their grooming is you literally like are gang raped if you like miss one note while doing the private sessions of trying to achieve the perfection something that this movie also kind of alluded to is that the perfection is almost like a cult in that the closest way we can get to god like this is all you know the the music teacher the closest way you can get to god is by being absolutely perfect and in this case being perfect and creating music anything less even one minor mistake one mistime one misnote is anything but godlike and therefore we do this extreme awful punishment to you and say we don't enjoy it it's just about wanting us to get you to the perfection that's very cult-like in nature that is one little thing like speaking of gripes i wish the movie did kind of go like a little more deep into the idea of any of this kind of grooming behavior being just as bad as a cult or like a cult leader doing this because he very much acted that way at times when we find out the big picture of everything oh yeah i mean it's totally a cult atmosphere it's the isolated environment where they are all by themselves it's a fucking old chapel it's a chapel like everything (laughs) revolves around anton and he very much has that holier than thou i am the blessed one i am the chosen one who will like bring forth these perfect students like it's it's very cult-like for sure steven weber is the one who uh plays him yeah. in this which never trust Steven Weber. He's just one of those people that anytime that you see him in a movie, you should just yeah. knee-jerk inherently have that dog sense to, like, not trust him. He's basically evil Alan Tudyk because I always get him, like, mixed up with Alan Tudyk. Yeah, I can see He's that. He's an older, eviler Alan Tudyk to me. But, uh, DJ and Josh, kind of while we're on this part of the movie, with you guys having such backgrounds, like, for so many years, of either classically trained or band or whatever it be, and I assume it's way more low-key than this, but you know, even in that regard, was there ever a moment of competition or stress you put on your own self or maybe even music teachers put on you to be perfect in certain settings? Have you experienced anything like that? And like, did that movie ever bring up any of those kind of memories or thoughts for you guys? Oh, yeah, I would say for me, at least being in band was the first extracurricular activity I did that kind of fed into my competitive nature because in band you're well at least in my, I don't know how it is everywhere but for me it was always you're compared to the people yeah. in your section and then you're basically ranked and then the people who are first chair have privileges of some sort you know whether it's leadership role or access to a better cubby or something you know really stupid like that so yeah I think it hits the mark there I will say being someone who spent so long in an arts-based field that you have to practice constantly to be better I I was a little taken aback when I watched the film until we started having the conversation about the Larry Nasser situation in that book that Josh was talking about. I didn't understand why the movie incorporated sexual abuse into the storyline at all, because I thought the concept of being a musician or a student specifically and practicing and learning and the mental anguish that can come from from that, I thought that was going to be enough to drive the storyline. I thought the sexual abuse was a bit much personally 
But I was kind of expecting more like a Black Swan type of film. Same. Where musicians were driven yeah. to something rather than it being more revenge based. You know, I was hoping that the perfection would be like maddening. And that was kind of a little bit of a letdown for me, at least just coming from that musical background. Yeah, I, I went in with an assumption that I was going to be way more like Black Swan, Suspiria, kind of something of that nature. I have a note here. When I was watching the movie, I was just writing down my thoughts of... <laughs> The character Anton just trying to be a kinky J.K. Simmons from Whiplash. <laughs> In Whiplash. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not kinky like, J.K. <laughs> But I mean, it, it was like, I, I think I share that, I, DJ, I, I really didn't see the sexual abuse part of it being as big a part of the movie up until the very end. And I thought it was just people yeah. being driven to in the, in the trailer, again, drives that too is people being driven to madness from just general abuses that musicians all over the world go through. Um, it's pretty well documented, yeah. just like the mental stress that you go through. And just from being in such a competitive yeah. industry, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and something that y'all brought up earlier with the competition and, and everything and how these kind of things attract grooming and these fucks like Anton in this movie. But it, it also bleeds over into other entertainment industries because that's, at the end of the day, music is, even classical music, is entertainment. It's, it's an entertainment industry. Yeah. And it's an art form. Yes, it is. And yeah. that's one that should be well-respected, but art is meant to be forms of entertainment in many respects. But, uh, you know, with parts of this movie being true with classically trained musicians, but also like the abuse with the Olympic team that we brought up. Mm -hmm. I mean, Hollywood abuse is documented yeah. all over the place, especially sexual abuse. We're finding now in video games that mm -hmm. huge video game developers suffered from like even sexual abuse in some aspects. And crunch. Yeah, yeah. And so like I think any entertainment industry that thrives on competition, which is pretty much all of them, is going to be a breeding ground for people who think they can take advantage of others and groom yeah. them and use that competition to turn people against each other while you know manipulating them yeah. into doing stuff they normally wouldn't do. I don't want to like take over and, and talk about this too too much and you can cut this out if you want to but classical music is actually I think pretty unique in its own way of dealing with all that too. It's a very traditional art if you will yeah. that weirdly enough pretty much has not changed since it was conceived. <laughs> Hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I go to symphonies a lot. So there's still a first chair violinist and they're like the celebrity of the symphony. Yeah. So <laughs> there's like a hierarchy, a class system all built into an orchestra. Yeah, totally. There's yep. this weird issue where the conductor is paid a million dollar salary. And at our state symphony orchestra, you're paid $15,000 a year if you're good. There's like these Oof. huge like systems in place that have just always been there. You have to wear a tuxedo when you're performing. The audience literally has to sit there and like try and just cover up their coughs. And yeah, like, you're not allowed to clap in between movements. It has right. to be the entire piece has to play before Correct. you can yeah. stand up and clap. Yep. <laughs> and, and all this feeds into this unique mm -hmm. culture that classical musicians share. And I think drives some of the pressure that you also get because you're, you're kind of pressured to keep up this persona or or I'm probably not I'm not thinking of the right word that I really want to say but like this face almost that this is a perfect art form by the way built on years and years of like white supremacy or yeah. <laughs> all that bullshit lots of classism as well too lots yeah. of definitely like patriarchal in its structure as well too until the last you know maybe 100 years or so 
Yeah. And the other thing is that there's this weird perception of a classical musician as if they're, you know, a genius. Yeah. Right. If you can play classical music, you're a genius. But then the, the way that they're treated is so different from that. You know what I'm saying? To the regular symphony goer, they typically have this idea that what they're doing on the stage is completely, I cannot understand it, is unobtainable to me, is just like something so far away from me. But it's literally just like anything else. The same people. People that are sitting there are probably watching the Super Bowl and could conceive of themselves playing football, but for some reason can't conceive of themselves putting a string on a bow or <laughs> yeah. putting their mouth on a saxophone or whatever. I, I know what you mean because I remember getting in kind of an argument, heated discussion with an ex of mine. And granted, I was a teenager, so who the fuck knows? <laughs> you were a genius of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I remember the way the discussion went. She played, I think, violin, if I remember correctly for several years she uh was trained in opera singing and she had this idea like you were saying even she like in her own i don't want to say ego because we were again we were just teenagers but in her own mindset she saw the art form that she like had achieved was above because mm. she knew the type of music i like she's like the best artists that you listen to like as far as guitar players go hip-hop artists whatever can't even touch even like the basic ass violinist the violin and like the classical strings are like on another planet of quality from the electric guitar and like she's like why do so many people play the electric guitar but not as many people know how to play the violin and i was like that's some bullshit right <laughs> you can respect all instruments they're all at varying degrees of difficulty in their own ways and like that's how we started our argument but like that's what that mentality is kind of like mm -hmm. i haven't had that thought personally i mean but at the same time, I've never really tried to sit down and be like, well, if I put 5,000 hours into the violin, I could be like that. But I get what you mean by that, because I have had that thought for other things, mm -hmm. like for, you know, certain guitar players, or I'd have no rhyme and rhythm, so I could not be a hip-hop artist if I tried. Like, I just can't do any of that. But I do wonder if they also feed into their own ego after a certain point with the competitive nature, that then they start to think oh, yeah. this art form. And, like, that's what the perfection in this case, I think, really capitalizes on is that everyone's just assuming yeah. like we are the closest to God over any other human because of we play the cello really well yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day like they don't see that that is such a stupid yeah. thing to say they really believe in that and like the way they get to that is so fucked up and so opposite of what God should be it's so sinful if you we want to go that route too mm -hmm. like but you know and that's kind of the the weird fucked up nature of, of it all but DJ and Josh again I wanted to ask you guys and Aaron we've we, you've all touched on they got some things wrong in terms of musical theory and portrayal of music and classical that made you all even laugh a little uh, what are some of those things because I didn't catch any of that because I again I don't have that background I have a list yeah <laughs> oh my God. go ahead go ahead <laughs> let's let's see where we overlap yeah let's do this Aaron let's ping pong it okay you go first and then I'll, I'll do another one so the insane telepathic level of coordination that you have to have to pull off the very end stunt that is nigh on impossible nice that is just such an insane there's no way and from a like physical body standpoint there's no way to have that level of control necessary to do what they're doing in that moment <laughs> but I think that's where the movie kind of almost transcends that's where the camp factor comes in for sure that's like where that camp 
camp exploitation transcendence of kind of a crazy fucked up ending really yeah. comes into play. That's the way I took it. I actually really liked how that ends at the at the end. Oh, of- I love it, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it. It just didn't make any damn sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we I guess we can say right. I mean, they had a lot of time to you know chop up Anton. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, I can't even remember if they did like the clockwork orange thing and just forced his eyeballs open. But no, they did the opposite. Oh, they sewed they everything. Sewed yeah, that's what that's they what sewed saying. everything up but his ears, and they had a nasal feeding tube going down, so like he was staying alive. Yeah, like he definitely got the worst of it, but he deserved it for everything he did. So. But I think if you had enough time to do that, you probably like spend a couple days like, hey, let's yeah. see if we can like do this. And the thing is, I bet I could find like a YouTube video of a couple kids like trying to do this. Hey, uh, Rebecca. Do your students ever try to like one person play the strings and the other person bow? Never mind. She said, why would they do that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but that's probably the answer right there. (laughs) Yep. Did you guys ever try and do that? I feel like we tried that as kids just to like see if, okay, yeah, we both know. Well, for the violin, it's different. It's it's pretty tough. But for the cello, I feel like you could probably, there are probably some kids that are out there. There's probably a YouTube video or two of some kids just trying to get that down. I played the flute. We never tried anything like that. Yeah. Y'all ever um, get into video game speed running? Derek, you seem like you're kind of into video games some. Yeah, I've watched some speed runs. Do you know this thing where two people will play on one controller? Yeah, yeah. It's called Ogre. I think Mm. what they'll do is they'll buy like a gigantic Christmas sweater even where two people can fit into one sweater. Someone's left arm will be the like left hand and the other person will be the right hand and they try and play a video game together. Yeah, that way. I I can see it. I can see people doing that. I think it's called two headed ogre the way like when they do that kind of stuff. I mean, it would just take practice and and I think they make it vague enough to where like they probably could have taken a day or two then like, hey, let's let's see if we can do this just to be cool. I think it was probably (laughs) longer than that because Allison Williams gets her entire arm jacked up right, and yes. amputated. I mean, she would certainly need time for that to heal. Heal. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I, th- I think it was probably a while that they had to sit and practice and just be like, we gotta get this right so we can tell him to fuck off officially. <laughs> We're gonna Voltron together and be the perfection. But I hope they purposely still missed a note just to fuck with him because they know yeah. his ears are still working. One last thing about that specific scene is I have here I started noticing some things that you know your English teacher would be like oh the color of that thing or whatever like that has meaning or whatever in in your book that you're reading you know what I'm saying I love how it seems like they're trying to like push that they now complete each other yes that's nice also there's this big circle behind them and you know complete circle all that stuff I like it I like the like symbolism and stuff. A perfect circle. A perfect yeah. circle. <laughs> Here's another thing I will say about their playing. Apparently, neither of them have a lick of instrumental training whatsoever. And they actually do really, really well. It's not perfect by any means. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do a very good job of stunt playing. They're yeah. posture and positioning is pretty correct. Okay, I'm glad y'all are like clearing that up for me because I wasn't sure if the actual actresses like knew how to play already or learned yeah. or if it was stunt and I was leaning more towards it either being stunt playing or they like already knew before they got casted like how to play some yeah. cello. I think typically for these kinds of movies or, or for just movies in general, you can kind of assume they don't know how to play <laughs> just based off you kind of have to do one or the other almost it'd be very tough to like practice your craft 
in acting and also at the same time practice cello and also just live your life. But it does happen. That's the crazy thing mm. is you do find out about movies where like, oh, so-and-so like spent an entire year beforehand learning to play right. drums or learning how to play bass or whatever. Like that totally does happen. Or boxing. In Raging Bull, didn't he like basically become an amateur boxer for a little bit? Or like at least train that way? Yeah, and, and like we like to joke about all the time, fucking Daniel Day-Lewis also like move to Italy living out in a cobbler right (laughs) Right. so like yeah people do dumb stuff for the sake of method acting but you know for them not necessarily taking all the time to like actually learn how to play cello I think they did a very good job of faking it now the one nitpick I have and this bugs me with literally any music related anything oh yes let's play let's play together let's play together a song that we just know from memory and that we haven't rehearsed together and we're just gonna like nail it oh at the beginning yeah like that kind of always yeah at the beginning that always kind of cracks me up when like musicians in movies just sit down and just jam out perfectly like that with no prior planning or knowledge of what they're getting into or practice or anything just throw it out and it's you know amazing that always cracks me up whole beginning portion was super weird to me having all that background knowledge i guess you know there's that scene with the three girls where they're saying like okay so this is shanghai this is supposed to be like the best players in china um i've seen some of the best young players in china they are sick yeah they will make you feel like you've never accomplished anything in your entire life (laughs) there's a scene with the three girls that are competing and they're playing this piece that aaron you and me probably played in (laughs) our school orchestra (laughs) yeah probably so and then the scene that you're talking about aaron i didn't recognize the piece so i went digging to see what this piece was what i found was that apparently it was written by both rolf kent and paul haslinger somehow that's written by both of them i actually can't find a confirmation of this i just happened to find it under the official youtube video for it so i don't even know like how actually accurate that is but check out some of their credits so rolf kent wrote the score for the men who stare at goats wedding crashers legally blonde freaky friday mean girls and thank you for smoking Uh, (laughs) i don't know that i can like crook my head harder and like perplexion than i just did but yeah that's wild so dj i know (laughs) that your upbringing is just full of rolf kent uh music for sure Apparently, I had no idea who he was until now, but I love the music that plays in Legally Blonde and Mean Girls, <laughs> so uh, apparently I'm a fan. And you know what's crazy? He actually has done video game work, too. Mm-hmm. He did the early, some of the early Far Cries. He did two of the Rainbow Six games. Three of them, actually. Shit. And then, yeah, like he's done a whole shit ton of movies. So, yeah, Paul Haslinger did, like, the Underworld series. That's his big uh, thing yeah, okay. that he did. But he, did, he does, yeah. like, tons of just these super action movies. I think he did some Resident Evil movies. Did I get these mixed up? Who was the guy you originally brought up? Rolf Kent. Rolf Kent. So, I'm talking about Paul Haslinger. Uh, Paul Haslinger. Yeah, yeah Paul Haslinger. 
Esslinger is the guy who did the video game stuff as well as, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, Underworld and uh, all these other things. Yeah, I just thought that was super interesting that we can only presume also that the perfection, the piece, the perfection, which has no credits to anybody, uh, was also written by them. And it sounds very similar to the first song that they play together. Yeah. Now, the soundtrack does feature classical arrangements, I think Bach and Mozart specifically, mm-hmm. but there were some several non-classical like tracks that were used in the movie. Since you guys are the more music-minded podcast, did you guys catch any of these? Because the only one I really recognize was Chromatics, because I've heard the mm-hmm. Chromatics in other movie scores before. But the rap song, I I never heard that, and like I had to like go listen to it afterwards. Did you guys know any of this music? I had no idea who that was, but yeah, that Chromatics song is a cover of a whole song, so I definitely recognized it. Yeah, th- what I will say about that the hip hop song, which is it's played on the to transition from one setting to another, I guess. Allison is like listening to that in her ear pods or something, right? Yeah. And then they interrupt his music yeah, yeah, when yeah. they murder the fuck out of everyone. <laughs> they put it on then too, which it was a pretty hype moment yeah, yeah, yeah. when that happened. <laughs> on the bus, I have a, a note here where I wrote, that's the first super on the nose accurate thing in the movie is that a classical musician would listen to bad hip hop on uh, AirPods. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That song kicked a lot of ass. <laughs> bad hip hop. Other note, I definitely have in here was uh we're not going to talk about the literal gmc bluebird bus that they're riding apparently from shanghai (laughs) so okay so you mentioned that earlier and i wanted to bust your bubble and be like yo so guess what this movie was filmed in vancouver (laughs) yeah when it like (laughs) pulls out from the bus and it shows all these like pine trees and stuff (laughs) yeah that ain't right this is a china this is it china (laughs) china where (laughs) it was amazing going back to the conversation about like what are some music related things that they got right didn't get right or whatever one thing the movie gets wrong especially if they're like the guest judges for this whole thing they would never be talking during a performance period yeah nobody would be talking during that performance let alone like dirty talking to each other yeah that's a good one but one thing the movie does get right is musicians be horny that's just like a thing right so that (laughs) that is certainly something that uh the movie got correct this movie also gets really intense romance uh subplot with them which was interesting layer added on to like the revenge aspect to it as well a layer that i really enjoyed i thought this was a really good part of the story but dj josh is banned like is banned horny like is this is this like a takeaway we're gonna come across from the our discussion oh shit dj okay oh yeah it was notorious at least at my school it was pretty notorious the back of the band bus was like make out heaven location when you went away from the school kids were known to like fondle and do things and that was not my gig yeah (laughs) and there was a lot of interdating and like the road Romance and drama that surrounded that was constant. I can only imagine it's the same for Josh and Aaron. Well, I mean, just thinking about it, right? You're in an orchestra. You got people putting their mouth on bits. You got people <laughs> fingering strings. The constant innuendo is nonstop. Are you saying that playing in an orchestra is sexy? Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what i'm saying y'all partied. I'm sure y'all drank and got drunk. But I mean, like, how do you get a symphony drunk, guys? 
cello shots. Oh. <laughs> that was rancid. I didn't know where that was going. <laughs> I hadn't had one in a while, and we had just gotten past the more intense part of yeah. our discussion <laughs> with this. And so I just kind of had to throw that out there as a transition. But To kind of pivot yeah. to a different theme and idea that this movie kind of plays on that is a universally relatable kind of fear that lots of people share. The subplot with the sickness that's going around is ahead of his time interestingly more relevant right <laughs> yeah really interesting in the post-covid world 2019 huh? that like you go back and you watch movies like that and you're like oh hmm yeah wow quaint that's kind of eerie where did they say that that came from in in the movie I th- was it hunan that they said i believe it was hunan not wuhan right oh yeah because didn't they say like there was like a something breakout in the south mm-hmm. region and then there's that guy who just pukes in the lobby area of the orchestra yeah that was one like i was like what is this movie doing like where is this going that's where i almost started thinking like is this gonna turn into like a plague movie or like a zombie movie mm-hmm. that just kind of really stuck out my mind with the backdrop of covid and that an aspect i also wasn't expecting this to take place in or at least part of it take place in china so it was like what the fuck is this it's a little too close what movie yeah. is this like, it only came out in 2008 right <laughs> so that kind of gets me back around to the main thing was fear of travel is definitely a thing and that's something that i don't think any of us right now have that issue josh you have certainly been to korea you have been to china i know i personally have been to various places in europe and mexico and canada Derek, you have been all over the u.s with your wife in the last few years y'all literally just moved to hawaii dj i'm sure you've also like traveled around a good bit that's not really a factor for any of us but that's certainly a thing that lots of people are weird about is that constant anxiety of being somewhere where you don't know the language you're iffy about the food you don't really know how to navigate and get around you're constantly having to rely on strangers for like all kinds of various things when you're traveling abroad right and that entire idea of just being out of your depth is a fear that a lot of people have and it keeps people from like traveling and experiencing the world you know i literally have met people in my life that are like i refuse to leave the country ever because i don't ever want to be like that far out of my element or even refuse to leave the state they live in yeah that happens too you know they think that certain states are completely different than others um, which in some ways yes but like you're still in the united states like come on man (laughs) yeah to the point where you are literally racked with anxiety about oh my god i'm gonna go to new orleans i'm gonna get mugged and the food is gonna be too spicy and there's gonna be a parade that's gonna be too chaotic no that's not at all how that works but you know like that fear of travel is certainly a thing so the entire first half of the movie being set in China and them instantly kind of being like out of their element where they don't know how to communicate with anybody they don't know how to communicate what they need the whole like you know we need a doctor how does this work we are now out in the middle of nowhere there's no way to get back our tickets are weird it just all of that logistic stuff of traveling is anxiety inducing I know like for me personally I think I've mentioned this on the show before 
I fucking hate flying. I just can't stand mm-hmm. flying anywhere. Like, I'm claustrophobic, so I already hate being in an airplane, cramped up because I'm a fat fuck, and having to breathe the recycled air. I just can't stand it, right? You know, and, and on top of that, you spend hours in the airport waiting in lines and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and then having to deal with all the logistics of, like, shuffling your stuff around and just... I. I hate airports. I hate traveling. That's the kind of thing where, like, my anxiety spikes harder on days where, like, I have to fly for work than literally any time in my life that I'm, like, watching a horror movie. You know, like, that's the kind of, like, real-life mundane stuff that really does tweak me out. And that I can, like, relate to that aspect of this movie, that travel anxiety is, like, certainly a thing. Bro, like, I can totally relate, specifically to traveling for work. Don't even mention a plane, just getting in your car and having the confidence to, like, arrive in the place that you have to get to where you have an appointment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just having all that anxiety that you're going to be driving down roads that you're not familiar with. Even if you have your GPS, uh, you don't know what the traffic's going to look like. You don't know how how much time you actually need to get there for whatever reason. Totally get that. Yeah. Other thing I'll bring up too, because you mentioned Shutter Island and it made me think about this. A group of us in college went and saw Shutter Island. I think it was one of those at my insistence because I was like, it's the new Scorsese movie. We all need to go see it. It's going to be an event, right? Got dressed up as Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) Yeah, I dressed up as Travis Bickle to go see this movie. But I think the moment where I instantly just jettisoned myself, just pulled the ripcord from that movie was right at the beginning. And granted, like I've gone back to Shutter Island I like and appreciate Shutter Island a lot now, but in that immediate first viewing where I immediately was just hit the button, psh, bye, I'm out, was when Leonardo DiCaprio refuses to take one of Mark Ruffalo's cigarettes. He was just like, oops, I'm out of cigarettes. Mark Ruffalo's like, cool, how about you have one of my cigarettes, buddy? He's like, nah, I'm good. And that was the moment where I was just like, oh, that's where this is going. Oh, and I'm not going to explain it any further. If you know, you know. But the moment in this movie with the prescription bottle of ibuprofen in air quotes. (laughs) Yeah, like we're we're both doing like air quotes with our fingers right now. That was the telling moment for me when we first saw this movie. Now, granted, there were still like crazy elements that that movie ramps up to before that left turn happens. The bugs, for instance, I could not have predicted there were going to be bugs, you know? I mean, every 10 minutes of this movie, you have no idea where it's going, right? At least it wasn't spiders, because that would have really fucked you up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, you're you're puking up maggots? I can handle that. Oh, I don't know if I could have watched it if it was spiders. Yeah, exactly. Wait, you would have been able to watch it with spiders or not watch it at all with spiders? I don't think I could watch it if it was spiders yeah no no. (laughs) i had a hard enough time as it is Uh, see i I thought the maggots were way way worse uh it just looks like little grains of rice just tell yourself it's just little grains of rice that you're saying (laughs) spiders are fine whatever no spiders are (laughs) demon hands the maggots were disgusting but they're not gonna keep me up (laughs) yeah that moment where you see oh i would like some ibuprofen please okay here you go and she's dumping these giant brown horse pills from a prescription bottle that's where i was like "Mm, 
don't know about this. Yeah. Well, and so I know what you mean because like I kind of saw what was go- going to happen anyway. I could tell her character was a little off in some oh, way, yeah. but not quite how. But I There's knew something off immediately. I knew she was going to fuck up Logan Browning's character in some way, and it had to do with the medication. But the way they set that up, they set the movie up with her watching what was it, her aunt die from some kind of terminal cancer. They pretty much right away showed that like this is some kind of like heavy duty like cancer medication. Yeah. Right. Whatever she's giving her isn't ibuprofen at all. By the way, one of the more striking haunting images in this movie to me, despite all the other shit, despite all like the trigger warning worthy shit of sexual abuse and everything, the one of the most haunting images is her just sitting there watching her aunt while like the other family's talking. No, not her aunt. It was her mother. It was actually her mother. Now I'm thinking yeah. about it. Um, but like hearing her other family talk in the hallway while she's just sitting there with her dead mom and her dead mom having that thousand yard dead person stare like the lights gone out behind the eyes kind of stare that like dead people have and that was one of the creepiest images in this entire movie with like a movie alert someone spoiler alert someone is hallucinating like puking up bugs and them crawling out of their skin and everything and all the other sexual abuse like that to me was like where I was like I have no idea where this is going but I know Allison Williams character is going to do something really weird because of the tragedy she starts off the movie with and what I thought was going to happen is that she poisoned her mom and you know maybe she did help her get out of that suffering I don't know that's not something like that could be a world building character trait yeah. that you know you could imply it's something they just they never go deep enough into it to like yeah. really factor that in yeah yeah but like I thought she basically poisoned her mom to death at the very beginning whether to like end her suffering or because she just wanted to by the end of the movie she ultimately is a protagonist she ultimately is deep down her intentions are good <laughs> deeply misguided and flawed but good yeah like getting someone to chop their own hand off so they can get out of a sexual abuse situation is i think there are other ways to handle that but you know hey whatever um but yeah i think the tie with the drug and her her mom having terminal cancer and everything was just yeah you're not giving her ibuprofen you're giving her some like fucking anti-tumor side effect nausea and hallucinating like demons in your walls kind of drug yeah upset stomach diarrhea yeah (laughs) you were talking derek about those were the opening moments of the the movie her sitting in the chair but yeah what they're also doing that kind of ramps that up is splicing in like these very you know quick clips of her just screaming in the chair yeah that almost jump scared me by the way because i was like what the fuck? Like, yeah, it did jump scare me. <laughs> but then also like a clip of her cutting herself in a bathtub and, and yeah. stuff, really trying to like sell you. Or maybe they're just like, hey, in case you didn't know, <laughs> yeah, you're going to be in for something. Yeah, for sure. Well, and they, they splice in uh, those parts of her shaving her head mm-hmm. and then like getting the electroshock therapy, but they don't give you any context throughout the entire movie until like towards the end where she explains, I literally had to get shock therapy yeah. done to me, which is now barely ever used in modern mental health but it is still technically used in extreme cases she was like i had to do this to finally accept what happened to me was completely wrong and fucked up yep and then she pulls a wig off of another wig (laughs) let's talk the cast real quick so well i guess to back up a step like we mentioned the movie is directed by richard shepherd which i looked up his 
credits. And he's done some stuff I've seen. He did The Matador and Don Hemingway. And he did several episodes of the show Girls, uh, which we kind of briefly discussed in our last episode with Get Out. Because obviously Allison Williams is in both of these movies. Which, yeah, two in a row with Allison Williams. Don't know that we're ever going to cover an Allison Williams movie ever again. But, you know, there you go. I was going to say, now you just have to find something in this movie that you can carry on to the next movie that you do. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep that daisy chain going. Hey, you know, she may come back to horror. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that happening later down the road. But, yeah, we kind of talked about her with the last episode. Obviously, she was in Get Out and the Netflix series of Unfortunate Events show. And she was also on Girls. Logan Browning plays the second lead in this, Elizabeth Lizzie. She seems to be most well-known for a lot of her younger stuff with Nickelodeon and Disney, specifically the Bratz movie. Oh my god, yes. Mm-hmm. But she was in shows recently like Powers, Dear White People, and the Young Justice cartoon. But Logan Browning was, I think, the standout performer for me, partly because she was just somebody that I had not seen before. Yeah. And she's such an amazingly stunning presence in this movie. And by the end, seeing her in that very power suit with her stump just hanging out looking like a boss and just the insanity of the end of this movie with her was pretty great i will say too for somebody that is as young as she is as pretty as she is etc like it's interesting watching people who are very good performers but clearly have little to no ego and I mentioned, I think, I can't remember like if we brought this up on the episode or if we were talking about it afterward, but the Peacemaker show that's on HBO right now with John Cena, it is kind of refreshing seeing John Cena, who is super good looking, charismatic, funny. He's in that old man, like veiny ripped phase of his career where like he's 90s Stallone, you know? He's the perfect action star, but he's also constantly getting the shit kicked out of him in that show. He's constantly the butt of every joke. He is constantly made to look like a fucking idiot. And he buys into it too. He has zero ego about it, right? Which is something that you will never see The Rock do and you will never see Vin Diesel do and the handful of the other like action dudes out there right now will never do that. They have to be like the coolest person. They can never Mm -hmm. look, you know, weak or flawed. You will never see them do anything embarrassing, right? So for Logan Browning to like be in this movie and literally like spend the middle like 30 minutes of this movie vomiting and pissing herself, shitting on the side of the road, losing her mind, freaking out, screaming is kind of wild. And I, I like really appreciate the fact that she was willing to just full on a thousand percent just go to the extremes of that performance and not be like oh no I don't want to look bad right this is weird for like my image or whatever like mm-hmm. I don't want to be that character the fact that she just commits to that is very I, I respect that for sure I don't want stills of me shitting on the road <laughs> <laughs> yeah on the internet around the internet DJ I actually wanted to know if you had any thoughts on Logan 
Browning because I found out that one, she was on five episodes of Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. That checks out. Um, I love Logan Browning. She was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, apparently. Huh, okay. The thing I know her most from is the Bratz movie from, I think, 2007, and then Dear White People. Yeah. She's the lead actress in Dear White People. She's phenomenal. She has such a, a camera presence, screen presence. She's just... I don't know. I've always really enjoyed her. Those are the really the only two things until this movie that I've seen her in, but I've always really been a big fan. I like her. Yeah, to take nothing else away from Allison Williams, I do think Logan Browning is, commands more screen presence in general, now that you bring that up. By the way, totally kind of off topic for a second. That's awesome that she was a guest judge on RuPaul's. I need, I've need. i been meaning to watch that show myself, and I've been meaning to check out that other uh, drag race thing, Aaron. You recommended it a long time ago. It was about... Dragula? Dragula. Dragula, yeah. Yeah. That's the closest thing to horror that I watch. Funny enough, Aaron brought that up as a recommendation like way long ago on one of our early episodes. Uh, so yeah, you you watch that too? Oh, religiously, yeah. It's I awesome. love Dracula. <laughs> Here's the thing: the reason I don't like horror movies, and I don't I don't like to say that I don't like them. It's just a lot of the things that happen in horror movies are what I don't like in movies. So I don't like blood. I don't like jump scares. I'm not a gore person. I don't like really gross stuff. So like, I avoid horror movies generally. But I love drag. So when Dragula came out, I was like, um, okay, I'll give it a try. See if I like it. And it, it, that was kind of my venture into the world of horror. Because I don't, like I said, <laughs> <laughs> my heart can't handle scary movies that much. But I can handle drag where I know everything yeah. is fictional and, and put on for this specific competition yeah. and all that. Yeah, I remember uh, when Aaron brought that up, I, I looked up the Boulay brothers and some of their costume work is fucking crazy amazing, especially with, like from a horror standpoint. They're insane. They have a ton of, of really good guest judges, too, from horror movies. And I'm trying to think of somebody who's been on there. The witch from uh, The Conjuring. Bonnie Aarons. That woman, she's got a very distinct face. She's been on like two different seasons as a guest judge. They bring her back multiple times. Also, from Game of Thrones, Hodor was a guest judge one time. Also, not sure if y'all knew this, but Hodor actually did drag in Ireland before. Really? Okay. Oh, wow. I think I saw like a meme on Reddit about that. I did not know that. <laughs> I knew that he was a DJ yep. and that was kind of his main gig and acting was just kind of a side thing. I didn't realize he did that as well. Oh, shit. Orville Peck was a guest judge on the, what, the latest season, too. Yeah, that was on this past season. Derek, yeah. have we mentioned him on the show at all? No, but I, I have him banked as a future recommendation. I need to listen more to uh, his albums a okay. little bit more. So good. He just released a new EP, too. Hell yeah. <laughs> shit, Harvey uh, Gilead from What We Do in the Shadows was also a guest judge on, I think, the last episode of this most recent season. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, behind behind a season with Dragula. I haven't watched the most recent one. The most recent one, it was interesting, but it was really good. It's cool. not my favorite of the four, but I enjoyed it, ultimately. Dragula is actually the reason I, I even have Shudder downloaded on my Apple TV. <laughs> oh, this is on Shudder? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. For the most recent season, they moved it to Shudder. It started off as a YouTube, YouTube thing, like the first two seasons were on there, and then it moved to Shudder. They picked it up, and you can kind of tell the production quality is a little bit better because they're obviously getting right. you know, a better budget to work with. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's totally a shutter.
better thing for sure. Before they moved to Shutter, though, season three was on Amazon Prime, and it was notoriously late. They weren't uploading it on time. It was a, a shit show to be completely honest. But when it was on YouTube, it was, I think that was when it was, it built like the biggest fan base or like the most loyal fan base for the show because it was perfect. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, going back to the uh, cast, we were talking about Logan Browning. Did you have any more to say to her? Were you going to move on to Steven Weber? Yeah. Last person, Steven Weber, who's Anton. And he has been in a ton of things, specifically horror things, specifically Stephen King horror things. So he was in Vietnam movie Hamburger Hill. Most people will remember him from Wing. He's done pretty much every TV show that has come out for the past 30 years. He was in Single White Female, The Temp, Leaving Las Vegas. He plays Jack Torrance in the... TV, this is the actual true-to-the-novel adaptation of The Shining. He was in Dario Argento's Jennifer, which is one of the, like, Masters of Horror movies. Then he went on to do the TV movie for Desperation, which is also another Stephen King adaptation. Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is also Stephen King. Derek, just for you and me. Here's our weird ding, ding, ding. He did Batman stuff, right? Just for you guys, it seems like every other episode, somebody in the cast of the movie we're talking about has done voice work on a Batman cartoon. Yep. He did voice work for the new Batman Adventures and the Batman 1966 animated movies where he does the voice of Alfred. So there you go. Uh, I was going to say his wife, Elena Huffman, has done some stuff specifically what people would recognize her for, maybe from like our listenership, is that she was the demon Abaddon on and supernatural and she was also i think a pretty big role in one of the stargate universe maybe she also played black canary in smallville interestingly sure. enough and i do remember this show because i remember it being marketed relatively heavily but it only lasted one season but they did put out like 22 episodes they actually made a sci-fi channel tv show called painkiller jane based off of the comic book painkiller jane i remember that yeah and she was a main role in that yeah just kind of like other random tv bits here and there but yeah, the supernatural one where she played Abaddon, I think in like a hand, like six, seven episodes or something, is maybe the big horror tie-in. But yeah, otherwise she's more of kind of a character actor that pops up in a lot of stuff. Cool. I don't really have much else to say. So Josh and DJ, if you have anything else you want to add. I'm just looking over my notes real quick. You know, the Mozart's Requiem piece that they play. <laughs> yeah. Something that y'all's audience would probably like be wondering, hey, where have I heard that from? Evanescence famously sampled that for one of their songs. Oh my God. Was it the Evanescence song? Like, wake me up. Wake no, 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 no. It's some like okay. B cut on, I can't remember what album it was, but Lamosa is the song.
if you were into Evanescence, you were like, that, that classical piece, I actually know that one. That's probably where that came from. Requiem has also been used in like oh, yeah, super, a gajillion movies. Yeah, yeah Literally sure. like the Disarray, has, that was in a scene in an X-Men movie. Bits and pieces of that have been in everything over the last like hundreds of years. There's a lot of little classical pulls like that that are kind of sprinkled throughout. It's interesting kind of hearing that juxtaposed with the pop stuff as we kind of talked about earlier. And I do definitely dig that it goes out on that chromatics cover of that whole song. Like it's kind of a very fitting song Mm. in terms of the subject matter, the lyrics and everything for kind of how and why that movie ends the way it does. So that was definitely kind of a fitting ending. And, you know, as bananas and kind of messy and imperfect and complicated and just in general kind of flawed that this movie is, I think it definitely sticks the landing at the very end. Yes. Walking away from the movie and that nuts ending is kind of, you know, you stuck the landing. So we'll at least like give you the points for that. Allison Williams and Logan Browning's relationship, the sexual energy that their characters have on screen is undeniable. And manifests through like the beginning where they hook up and then it ends with both of them separately even like (laughs) it kind of beats you over the head both their arms are fucked up so like they're both imperfect but when they're together they're perfect I I think the ending is very fitting especially to what happens with Anton like Anton really like he gets his comeuppance (laughs) in such the best way (laughs) in such a fucked up way but also yeah it was satisfying yeah yeah like the thing that was really impressive to like where he's left off is they took it to the level where you almost feel bad for him but then you remember everything he did for years and years and years and you're like no that's yeah. about right that's what you deserve a quick death would have been that's about right unsatisfying <laughs> yeah too merciful yeah totally do y'all know what a woomow is no i don't think I. that's no, not a joke uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but, uh so a would be like a chinese nationalist uh someone that like really defends the chinese communist party okay i don't know how political y'all get on this show so you, you can you can cut this out if you want to Aaron. we talk about all that kind of stuff but this is something that neither of us are super aware of because we don't know we aren't keep yeah, yeah, up yeah. with things that go on in that part of the world necessarily sure 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 sure. you know i'm not entirely sure of how much background or research or, or whatever the directors and the researchers did for this movie but there's that scene where the two of them are getting a bus ticket and are gonna go on this two-week trip and obviously character lizzie starts getting sick i think they tried to find the worst looking dish you could find to like make you kind of be in her shoes right what that kanji yeah like duck porridge that kanji looked delicious it looks delicious <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> i was gonna say i was like where are you going with this because i would eat that well no because like the the way that i saw how the movie was kind of trying to portray it is as an american right you're not used to uh, seeing the person preparing your food like straight up cutting the head of a duck off or yeah. whatever putting it in some what looks like goopy nasty shit but no that shit is delicious it's good but then that coupled with the gmc bluebird bus if a woo saw this they 
would be shitting their pants, pun intended, just (laughs) of how it looks like the director is trying to portray China, specifically like Shanghai, which you could make an argument that like some parts of China look like this, but then for Shanghai, that'd be like insane. I don't know how much thought went behind that. Yeah, I guess kind of the way you're putting it is it, it would be like making a movie about New York, but then kind of only showing like skyscrapers and then immediately cutting to like the most stereotypical trash piled up against the buildings, porno theaters, hookers, and like people getting stabbed, you know, yeah. in the middle of the street kind right. of thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's a very stereotypical and outsider interpretation. Is that yeah. kind of what you're getting at, I guess? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's just, I'm wondering how much work went into, hey, how how do we portray this city and its people as accurately as we can? I will say, though, you know, the people on the bus seemed genuinely concerned and really wanted to help in a lot of those cases, right? When Lizzie was getting sick, yeah. giving them water, helping them with the bus driver. But the bus driver who presumably works for the state is like an asshole. And <laughs> and it's those small details that I don't know if they like thought that through. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, Think yeah. about like Disney and Mulan and, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, filming part of that in Xinjiang and getting yeah. so much shit for that. It's one thing if it's an American horror movie and, you know, we've mentioned this on our show before this previous episodes if it's doing like exploitation right or you know it's showing like oh the south is this crazy dangerous place just full of trailer trash leather face serial killer inbred hillbillies right Mm -hmm. it's one thing if it's these stereotypes but in your own country it's another thing when you put your weird impressions and stereotypes onto people and cultures from other places especially to the point of this movie and to the point that you're kind of making countries where we have let's just say uneasy political correct yeah (laughs) situations with Right? Yeah. From an art cultural standpoint, you know, obviously, like, there is nothing officially sanctioned here, you know, with this movie, but it's still kind of one of those wrong-headed cultural impressions could be made, and that doesn't necessarily cast, you know, a good light on their country or our country for that fact that this is just kind of allowed to be what it is. So, like, yeah, I can see that, like, ruffling feathers for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, because it seems like we also allow Anton to, like, get away with this for decades. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of idea of just to what level do we want to hold anybody responsible, you know, yeah. if at all. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely an interesting point, too. You know, that's something that, you know, obviously I think people are more sensitive to and aware of, but obviously then like, you know, okay, cool, we're going to film in Vancouver and do the most stereotypical, like, this is China, guys, right? And (laughs) not really think about it, like you said, not think about the implications of what are we filming? Is this going to come off the right way? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the potential ramifications of how we're portraying this? You know, so that's a very interesting point I didn't consider. Yeah. For me, just the fucking school bus like got me. That's the biggest thing for me. The kanji I can kind of forgive is when our public transit system, Aaron, here is leagues and leagues and leagues behind Shanghai's inner city. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. System. Like live in a city where the buses are constantly 45 <laughs> minutes behind. 
if at all, you know? And then, yeah, we're trying to make out, like, the school bus is the dingiest, grotiest thing yeah. ever. Like, have you been on any kind of public transportation in the U.S.? It's not great. Yeah. So, yeah. Especially in the South. Yeah. Especially, like, in the South. especially in the Southeast. Yeah, let's, let's be real. DJ, do you have any final thoughts? I'm just going to take it back to what Aaron mentioned. I think it gets it right by the end. From a storytelling perspective, I like the way it ends, regardless of how logical or realistic that performance moment is. It's really interesting for the story, and I think it, it's a satisfying ending. And I would recommend, even if you don't like horror movies that much, that it, it's a pretty good, it's worth a watch, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's the best movie out there. I don't think it's the best horror movie out there, but it is definitely worth a watch. It definitely has interesting things to say for better and for worse. It, it does try and handle some pretty serious subject matter. Aaron, one last thing I want to run by you, and I got this impression, especially in the very end scene. It felt kind of Italian horror giallo-esque in certain points. Am I wrong in that assumption? Totally. You could draw that conclusion for sure. Uh, like I joked earlier, there are lots of Brian De Palma vibes from this whole entire movie. Yeah. There are lots of Park Chan-wook vibes through this entire movie. I think this movie is definitely wearing its horror thriller and genre kind of influences on its sleeve for sure, but it's mushing everything together in a very different and unique way and trying to kind of again filter like a rape revenge thing through all of that. So for some reason an interesting double feature I thought about this movie, and you know you may disagree with me on this one Aaron, but uh, I thought an interesting double feature would be this movie in Audition the Japanese horror movie that we actually covered yeah. a while back. I thought that those two together would be uh, an interesting double feature. Yeah, no, you could totally put those together. You know, this and Body Double would also be a good option. So yeah, I mean, the movie definitely kind of has all of its influences laid out right there, yeah. but in a very kind of interesting and modern way, for sure. Um, one last thing, totally off topic from this movie. I didn't want to interrupt us and bring this up earlier but I, I i've been kind of following the news i think you're about to say what i was gonna bring up yeah in closing as well this is news that just dropped while we record so y'all are gonna know exactly when we recorded this episode it happened about two or three hours ago it was announced i got the news about an hour ago when we were mid-recording ivan reitman the director of Ghostbusters also did Stripes and Kindergarten Cop and all kinds of other movies. Passed away. Wow. Yeah. Without giving away, like, spoiling too, too much of our appearance on uh, your show, Josh and DJ, kind of crazy synchronicity mm -hmm. there with a big chunk yeah. of that episode of what we talked about. But uh, yeah, R.I.P. Ivan Reitman. Man, that's a punch in the gut for me. Ghostbusters is up there as, like, one of my top movies of all time. So Has he been involved in the recent... Yeah, that's his son. Like his son directed Ghostbusters Afterlife mm -hmm. and it was kind of a love letter to his dad because his dad did the original Ghostbusters. But yeah, so <laughs> sorry to be the Debbie Downer at the end, guys. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> All right, yeah. So once again, R.I.P. Ivan Reitman. And uh, that's going to do it for us. So I will throw it over again to the featuring X podcast. 
Josh and DJ. Thank y'all once again for coming and joining us. It was great to come on y'all show and talk music. And it was great to have you guys Thanks come on and talk me, about this movie. Uh, is there anything else you guys would like to uh, promote while we have you? First, I'll just go ahead and say is doing both of these episodes has been a blast for me. I appreciate you Absolutely. working with us and hanging out with us. Yeah, it's been totally. awesome. Yeah. To be perfectly transparent, we're very new <laughs> podcasters. Y'all are four times as many episodes ahead of us. And we were releasing more frequently than you guys were. So like if that gives you any idea of how I think I feel, I feel like I'm coming on to like an actual show and it's, it's awesome. It's, it's been a great experience. I just yeah. have loved it. Well, yeah, thank you. It was fantastic to have you guys on and to be on your show. And I hope we can come back and do the same thing we did or even just talk music yeah. just yeah. because uh, Aaron and I both are also big music heads. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, any upcoming stuff with that and if you guys have any personal stuff you wanted to plug, uh, go ahead. Floor is yours. We don't have any any episodes coming up right now because we just finished season two. Season three will be coming out probably in the next couple of months. I don't think we're going to wait too, too long to release it. But uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Featuring X Podcast, F-E-A-T-X Podcast. If you'd want, you can follow our own personal accounts. Mine is under my drag character at Tiffany Minks and Josh is at Josh C. Hale and yeah we've got loads of episodes if y'all are looking for something to listen to while you go to sleep we've got plenty of things to tickle your fancy so hell yeah awesome and with that we are Watch for Dare a horror movie podcasted hosted by me the coward and my movie monster co-host Aaron in which we just discuss fears phobias etc um you can catch us at pretty much all the podcatchers at this rate. Uh, we're on all the major ones. Apple, Podchaser, Stitcher, Podbean, etc. Good pods. Please continue to rate, review, and follow us, especially on Apple, Podchaser, and Good Pods. We, uh, we've we had some uh, luck charting, and thank you for all the support getting us onto those charts and for all the uh, feedback you've given us. It's all been very positive. And w- you can catch us on Twitter and Facebook at Watch If You Dare. Um, you can check out our Spotify music play that is linked at the top of our Twitter and our Facebook page for some spooky tunes that are inspired by uh, movies that we've done and horror in general. And speaking of music, shout outs to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield, Aaron, for the bumps at the beginning end of each episode. You can catch all his stuff at like Bandcamp at under Party Gator, Big Clown, Possums, etc, etc. Definitely hop on Bandcamp, throw him a couple bucks, get some good music, check it out. Yeah, last thing I gotta say, and then I'll throw it over to you, Aaron, to lead us out. Hey, uh, guys, did you hear about the Yo-Yo Ma cover of that Coldplay album? It was all cello. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm disconnected. Alright, well, uh, on that note, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pack up and, uh, get out of here. Aaron, I- for some reason, I can't disconnect. I can't move. I like can't move my arms. You can't get up. Go, go, take care of your daughter, bro. Get out of here. We're we'll, no, we'll I, finish up. I, I, if I move, I'll shit, and I don't <laughs> want Sally to see me shitting. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good enough. <laughs>